Have you ever wanted to travel, make the world better, and be the part of something really cool that you could believe in? Well, that's what these girls do. Today, we're talking to Annabelle McClure from Colorado, age 26, and to Andrea Hassler from Maryland, age 29. These two are part of the National Conservation Team from the Access Fund. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with and making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. The Access Fund is a nonprofit committed to protecting climbing access and the integrity of America's outdoor rock climbing areas. They face issues like loss of areas, private land is being developed, or public land managers are regulating areas, or climbers are overusing an area and it's being degraded. So the Access Fund is a big national group that focuses on a couple of areas. They focus on legal policy and basically advocating for rock climbers. They acquire land so that they can protect it. They're big into conservation and making sure that the climbers aren't loving the crags to death. So they look at things like erosion and human waste and trash. And then they also educate the climbers on how to keep those areas safe. They look at risk management and working with landowners and overcoming liability of lawsuits and being afraid of it. And they help organize local support in climbing areas. And this traveling team is part of this Herculean effort and one of the programs that the Access Fund puts together. But what's really cool is that these two had to apply and try out and be chosen for this team, this national conservation team that goes around. And let's start with Annabelle. Annabelle, will you tell us a little bit about um, what it took, first of all, to become to get chosen for this national conservation team. And then how did you get there? What's your story on why that was important and why you wanted to do it? For me, I think my love of the outdoors and passion for climbing started as a child growing up in Colorado. My parents have land in the wet mountains and I grew up playing in the woods. We would build trails for fun, for hiking, for mountain biking, for dirt biking, And I would go out climbing with my dad, who's an old school climber, was always taught about the ethics of climbing from an old school perspective and climbed with um, these kind of old school climbers who had, you know, done first ascents around the country and um, were just very influential people in my life. But for me as a kid, it was just kind of climbing was just kind of a thing that I did with my dad and it was cool and I liked it, but I wasn't super passionate about it. And I didn't really develop my passion for climbing until I was in college and started doing it more on my own and kind of found my own friend group. And then it was something cool that I was, you know, really into. And it was a fun, cool thing that I started doing on my own. And then with that, I think I still had the love of the outdoors and conservation mind. And so Um, It kind of ties in with climbing. (laughs) 
how I got to this position. I actually, I went to school for biochemistry and that's where I met Andrea at, at UCCS in Colorado Springs. And then after I graduated, I started working at a biotech company out in Santa Cruz, California. And so I was working there. I would do volunteer trail projects with the mountain biking crew out there in Santa Cruz. And so was still getting some trail experience and would do climbing, you know, climbing trips to Yosemite and that sort of thing. And Andrea and I had to apply for this position together as a team. So Andrea called me up one day and said, hey, I saw that this position is open. And I, of course, knew about the access fund and the conservation teams. And so it was kind of this far-fetched dream job, you know, that I really never thought that I would find myself in. And um, she said, yeah, this, this position is opening up. Would you want to apply? And so we started talking about it and, you know, we, we went for it. And for me, it was kind of a big jump going from this kind of nine to five office job in biotech to following my passions in climbing and conservation and trail building, you know, a total lifestyle change from living in Santa Cruz with, I just, I didn't even own a car. I just had bikes and I would just bike to work and bike around town and to constantly traveling. And now we're on the road in our Jeep and it's just us in the Jeep. And, you know, we're in a way kind of homeless. Like we don't have a, you know, we don't have a home base. And so it's kind of a 180 from, from where I was at, but you know, we went ahead, we went for it. We applied for the position. Um, we went through the interview process. And I think that, now, especially now looking back on it, I think that we really complement each other in our skill sets because I have, you know, a totally different uh, story than Andrea, but our stories kind of complement each other. And I think that we make a great team in this job. And, you know, we're both super passionate about what we're doing. And now we get to travel around the country to rad climbing areas and do amazing work, working to conserve these areas for future generations, which means that you know, we get to share our passion and know that, you know, others will get to continue to have these experiences that we treasure so much. Thank you. And Andrea, what about your story? I grew up not having the outdoors much part of my life, except for the woods that surrounded my house. And it was kind of my escape. I would go and play in the woods with my friends or by the stream. And later in life, I saw those woods change as they started building more houses around me. And throughout my life, then I saw other places that were destroyed or compromised. Um, and it really kind of bothered me because I love being in the outdoors so much that to see those opportunities not for other people and kids kind of got to me. And so I really decided that that was something that I was passionate about and wanted to work towards. And so I moved to Colorado and I wanted to go to grad school and study applied geography, which was looking at the interaction between people and their environment. And I wanted to learn more about how people connect with place and how the, those places affect how they are. And so I, as I was studying that, I started working on trails and trails are this amazing thing where people have access to these wild places and they're either there or they're not or they're either created by people and designed or they're created by people for a certain use and I find that 
pretty fascinating. Um, and then I did a program where I got to spend a month out in the mountains learning how to build trails, learning about alpine geology and botany and geomorphology. And it was then that I really decided that this was what I wanted to dedicate my life's work to, was to getting outside, to building trails, to creating opportunities for people to connect with wilderness, with the outdoors, with nature. And so I kept on doing that. I did some work as an environmental educator um, with youth leading backpacking trips. I worked at the university running an outdoor program and a trails program. All of these things that I didn't really get exposed to when I was young, I wanted to make sure that other people could get that kind of exposure and experience. And I picked up climbing along the way and just loved it. I loved being outdoors. I loved all the places that climbing could take me to. I loved all the people like Annabelle that I met that I got to climb with and her dad. I climbed with him a lot too. <laughs> and so, you know, climbing and, and conservation and being at the outdoors kind of started becoming hand in hand for me. And so along the way, I learned about the Access Fund and I had worked with the first conservation team um, five or six years ago and I just remember thinking like oh my gosh you guys are so cool you have the coolest job I want to have your job one day and so one day that job opened up and I was in a position where I was you know running a program and found myself in the office and not getting outside and having the impact that I wanted to have and I kind of knew that Annabelle was in a similar position and knew that she shared similar passions for climbing, for being in the outdoors, for connecting with people. So uh, I thought that we would make a great team and she thought the same thing and we were both stoked for it. And yeah, here we are. We're now, we just passed our six months on the road. So we, we moved into the Jeep February 1st and we've been on the road going a different place week to week ever since then. And it's been such a blessing um, to be able to go from developing my skills and my experience in, in Colorado, uh, doing trails and climbing to taking that all over the country and learning from all the other people about what their climbing's like, what their experience is, and how they're um, working to conserve and protect their climbing areas. Thank you. I love both of your stories, and it does sound like you are a great complement for each other. And you both have great background that you bring to it that really help you do what you need to do. I was in a place where I decided that I wanted to do bigger climbs. And bigger climbs meant climbing big walls. Big walls are something that typically take the average person more than a day to climb. So I called my friend Annabelle, who had done a big wall before. She climbed Half Dome, which is in Yosemite National Park, where most of the big walls are in America. And I said, hey, Annabelle, I want to climb a big wall. And she said, okay, great. How about the nose? And I said, the nose, like the route that goes up El Capitan, El Capitan being one of the biggest walls in America. And she said, yeah, how about that one? And I said, okay. Well, I had some friends who had set records climbing at the fastest before. So I talked to them and they started training me. There's a lot that has to be learned to climb a route like the nose because it's not easy, straightforward, simple climbing. It takes multiple days to climb. You're sleeping on ledges while you're up there, which means that you're having to carry all of your gear with you. 
including sleeping pad, sleeping bag, all of your water, because there's no water up there. And so you're hauling all of that using rope systems to pull all of your gear up with you. So I had to learn all of that stuff and Annabelle knew a lot of it already. And so we went for it. And it was the summer of 2016 and we attempted the climb. And after two and a half days of really hard work, really scary climbing, we were halfway up the wall, 1,500 feet, looking down at Yosemite Valley and realized that we probably weren't going to make it as far to the top as we thought we would in the amount of time that we had planned for. And at that time, we decided that we were going to go down. We decided that we would do it the next day, and we had brought a hammock with us. So we hung the hammock above a feature on the wall called the boot flake, which is a detached piece of rock that looks like a boot. Annabelle's dad jokes that you could take a crowbar and knock that piece of rock off and ride it all the way down into the Yosemite floor, which would have been a lot easier than repelling all day long, repelling using the rope and just lowering yourself down. But we decided that we would do that and we came down. And it was hard because we thought that we were gonna make it to the top. We believed that we could. And we probably could have, but it would have taken us a week instead of four or five days like we had planned. And so when we got back down to Camp 4, where all of the climbers camp, we kind of had our tail between our legs and all we wanted to do was eat and sleep on the ground. And all of these people gathered around us, like 30, 40 people gathered around us around the campfire. And they started cheering and giving us rounds of applause and high fives. And I... We looked at each other across the fire like, do they know what happened? And I turned to somebody next to me and said, you guys know that we bailed, right? And they go, yeah, but that's okay. It's awesome that you even went up there. And so we were like, okay, all right. Like we didn't make it all the way, but we tried and we got as far as we could and we learned a lot. And we grew a lot as climbers by being faced with all of these challenges, by being faced with the, one of the biggest walls that we had ever attempted. We knew that we were more equipped to try it again. So for non-climbers out there, I think it's important to understand that probably most rock climbers don't even have a desire to get up on a wall like this and haul their stuff with them for days. Um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty obscure thing and it takes a certain determination and commitment, willpower, and you really have to be inspired to want to do this. Um, otherwise, it's just a huge supper fest. Um, so, you know, our first attempt was kind of a supper fest. You know, we learned a lot and we got up there and it was super scary. And we were just faced with a lot of um, real fears that we thought we were prepared for. But then when we were up there, they still kind of took us by surprise. And, um, after getting back down and spending time reflecting on the experience and talking to each other and climbing some more and growing basically from all the things that we learned, um, Andrea and I decided that we wanted to go back up there. We wanted to try again and we wanted to kind of redeem ourselves and face these fears in a more prepared fashion and um, attempt this huge, huge goal again. Um, so about a year after our first attempt on El Capitan, uh, we found ourselves back in California 
And for, with our travels with the Access Fund, we were actually going to Yosemite. We, this, we talked through it and decided we wanted to go attempt the climb again, which is a huge undertaking. And we ended up being able to work it into our schedule, get the gear and supplies together in time. And so we went for it. Um, the weather looked good, which is something you definitely have to consider when you're going up onto a rock face for multiple days. If there's bad weather potentially coming in, that can you know, seriously affect whether you're going to go for, go for the climb or not. We had a good weather window, so we went for it. I think more than anything, our second attempt was successful. And it was because we were mentally prepared, because we had spent a lot of time and energy reflecting and um, learning from our previous attempt. And when we got up there, it was scary. You know, we found ourselves in scary situations where you're, you know, maybe above your partner climbing and you can't hear them and you can't see them and you have to keep climbing and get to the next anchor, which is where you put a lot of protection into the rock and then you can belay your partner up and bring your gear up to where you're at. And that's how you progress up the wall. You know, I think both of us found multiple times we were scared when we were up there. And in the end, I think our, our ability to communicate better was very key to, to being successful in our second attempt. We were able to make it to the top in three days. You know, we definitely had some, some surprises. We dropped a couple pieces of gear on the way. You know, I think there were a couple falls that happened, you know, with minor, basically no injuries. Um, but it's still scary when you're thousands of feet off the ground. It's, it just exponentially increases the, the terror <laughs> of climbing. And it was just the most rewarding feeling, I think, getting to the top of this rock, um, El Capitan in Yosemite, the second attempt and doing it together and being successful and persevering through, you know, all the things that come up along the way. We made it to the top right around dark on the third day, and uh, we were planning to hike down, but due to the fact it was already dark and we were completely physically exhausted, we decided to go ahead and bivy on top of El Cap, and I think that was probably one of the most epic nights of sleep ever. It was super cold and we were both kind of shivering all night, but it was just, we were so stoked and so fulfilled in making it to the top and sleeping on the ground <laughs> again after sleeping on rock ledges on the side of a rock face for three days. It was so rewarding. Let's talk about the National Conservation Team. So just so everybody knows, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a two-person team that they are sponsored by Jeep. So they have this Jeep, they put their stuff in it, and they're basically traveling around the country for an entire year going to educate, going to build trails, going to work on climbing areas. Why don't you tell us you know, like what's a, what's a regular day for you and what have been like maybe your top two favorite projects while you've been on the road? What does that look like? So I'll start with, uh, there's actually three conservation teams on the road. We're the national team, but then there's an East Coast and West Coast team. And the East Coast and West Coast stay in the same project area for a few weeks or a few months and complete larger, more technical restoration conservation projects. So as the national team, we are a sponsored team. So Jeep is our main sponsor. They provide us with the vehicle, but we're also sponsored by REI, Cliff Bar, 
Arthur Moran, Yakima, and La Sportiva. So they all help keep us on the road traveling to all these places so that our work when we go to a place comes at no cost to the local community. And so a typical day for us is hard to say. So I'll frame a typical week because we go to a different climbing area every week. And so a typical thing might be that we'll show up to a place on a Thursday and we'll go to their climbing gym and we'll set up a table and we'll tell people about the access fund. They can, uh, the access fund is a nonprofit and we're membership based. So people get annual memberships so they can renew their memberships at that time. And we kind of educate whoever comes to talk to us about what's the hot topics, what's going on right now, what are things that people could take action on if needed. And then we also have developed a curriculum for youth climbing teams. So we'll meet with the youth climbing team and teach them about how to be good climbers, how to be responsible, how to be stewards of our outdoor climbing areas when they go out. The Friday, we'll go and we'll meet with the local climbing organization or the land manager at the climbing area and go and visit the climbing area and look to see what's happened. Um, a lot of these climbing areas weren't planned for the impact that has happened over the years. We've now got millions of climbers that are going out and our feet, our youth, our packs, all of our stuff um, has an impact on those places. So we go out and we look at the trails, we look at the staging areas where people kind of prepare for the climb. We'll look at the bouldering areas where people walk around and put down their climbing pads, their bouldering pads for climbing. And we'll talk about ways that we can help to mitigate the damage that's taken place. And then we come up with a plan because on Saturday, we have anywhere from a dozen to 60 volunteers that will come out and work with us for a full day on what we call an Adopt-A-Crag. And that will include anything from building trails to retaining walls to keep the hillside in place to removing graffiti to picking up trash, anything that is needed for the area, we coordinate and organize to do that. On Sunday, we might finish up our project work. And on Monday, we might work on the computer and complete assessments, upload all of our data for what work we completed, send out a report and then do our logistics and planning for getting to our next project site. Tuesday, day we'll usually travel, and someday within that week, we're going to climb something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Two of the things that I love most about this story that you've shared today is the story tools that we talk about of Number one, going for your dreams. You know, you knew what you wanted to do. And when the opportunities came up, and I'm talking both about climbing the nose and also about applying for this fabulous position on the National Conservation Team, um, you went for both of them. You know, you weren't letting stories of fear hold you back or stories of self-doubt. And I don't mean you didn't feel those things. I just mean you didn't let them hold you back. You know, whenever we're facing the things that we want to do, really often, we're, you know, we're dealing with fear and self-doubt. And yet in both cases, you guys just had a fantastic attitude and said, ah, let's figure out how to do this. Or, you know, let's give it a shot. Let's try. Let's make our video and put in our application. And wouldn't it be cool to be on that team? I love the going for your dreams. But I also love that retry on the nose. You know, we're not going to get it right the first time. 
every time. In fact, sometimes it's going to take three or four times. But the fact that you kept at it is an important story tool for all of us because as we're living our lives, if every time we run up against something, we have to back off for a minute and reconsider. If we just walk away, there's a lot of spaces for regret there. That that beautiful retry of, nope, let's, let's go back and make it happen. We'll come back at it with some increased knowledge, some increased skills, um, a different plan, and we're going to make it happen. You guys are creating your, your perfect life story, the one that you want, and I applaud you for that. Nice job. Thank you. <laughs> In parting, do you guys have any final... Um, words of wisdom or messages that you want to leave? I think um, something that just kind of came up while, while you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, we really don't let things hold us back. I think we really push each other in that continue striving, continue to try for the next big goal. And, and just talking about the nose attempt, Moving forward, uh, so we, d- we did accomplish that, and that was June, I think the beginning of June this year, 2017, and um, we actually just officially decided to go for a nose-in-one-day attempt, also known as a NIAD, this Woo. September, which, you know, it's Yeah, that's huge! Wow! It's probably going to go well, but it's another, it's a huge step in a forward, you know, it's, it's another level of goal. And we're both kind of going into it. Neither of us have done much uh, what's known as like speed climbing, getting up that many pitches in a single day, which is normally something you haul your your gear with and, you know, stay on the wall overnight. And it's a totally different attempt. So we won't be hauling a bunch of extra water. We won't be hauling Mm. sleeping stuff. Um, We'll just be climbing as fast as we can and trying to get up it in a timely manner. So, That's super so scary, exciting. Congratulations. And and so yeah, I think that um that continuing to strive for, you know, those dreams and those goals is really important. For me, I know I feel like it gives life this like driving force in life to continue moving forward and continue trying your best everything you do and and to have a big goal and a big dream, even though sometimes it seems untangible. Um, it's just really important, I think, to help with that momentum. Well, you don't know until you try, you know, and there's so many things that you could do and that you could um, achieve, like you applying for that. If you don't apply at all, you you for sure aren't going to get it. But if you apply, at least you've got a chance, at least you're in the running. So taking action is a big part of that. And you guys are good at that. Thank you for sharing your story with the Love Your Story podcast audience. We love having you on today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. It's been great. Thanks, Lori. Choosing possibility over fear, choosing persistence over stopping when you run into an obstacle, these are the things that set your life up for a lack of regret, that set your life up for storylines that lead to great adventures. These are the story tools that help you live your biggest, best, most beautiful and satisfying life. The other day, I was talking with a group of friends that I haven't seen for many years And we were talking about the past and kind of how life had unfolded in the past 20, 30 years. It was interesting because there actually were a a number of regrets. People had wished that they had taken different, different routes, that they had tried different things, that they hadn't given up on particular 
roads that they were considering at the time. And of course, you never really know. You always know things better in hindsight. But the way to not end up in your later life having a bunch of regrets and wishing that you had done something that didn't land you in a midlife crisis where life ends up looking not like you expected it to is to follow some of these things that we've talked about today with Andrea and Annabelle. Go for your dreams. Try for the things, even if you think that you're not going to get them, even if there's fear, because if you don't try, you really have no chance. And when you fall down, you get back up and you try again because everybody falls down and very few things are ever accomplished without having to try at it over and over and over. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how life is. So have fun out there this week, creating your best life story, going for your dreams, retrying something that's important to you, even though maybe you didn't get it the first time. And please share this podcast. We're on Google Play, on iTunes, on Stitcher. Listen wherever you're, um, wherever you get your podcasts. But also, I'm going to suggest go to the website at www.loveyourstorypodcast.com and sign up for the weekly thought because not only do you get a weekly thought, but you're also going to be added to the email list where we send you out a link to the podcast every week when it's launched. And so you'll have the reminder, you'll have it right there and you can listen to each new episode. We'll see you next week.